This morning is kind of a, kind of a, a one-off sermon for me. You know, we just finished a series in Titus for the last four weeks, and as I just mentioned, next week uh, Ron's going to be preaching, and so uh, I had a lot of ideas about what I might like to preach about today. And if I'm honest, uh, the message that I'm bringing was not one of my top choices. I don't know if you've ever ha- had a wrestling match with the Spirit of God before, but I do sometimes, and sometimes it's in the area of, of sermon preparation. There was a few things I was kind of thinking would be fun to preach about, and then there was this text that I just couldn't get away from, and, and finally, by about Thursday, I quit fighting it and said, okay, that's the, that's the message for Sunday. And the title I want to give for this message today, you can see it on the screen behind me, is the title of the last song that we sang in worship today, Build My Life. Build My Life. You know, uh, George Bernard Shaw once uh, quipped, if any other planets are inhabited, then they must be using Earth for their insane asylum. (laughs) Have you ever felt that way? (laughs) It's kind of funny, but it's also kind of a sad reminder to us that the world that we live in is a mess, isn't it? It's a mess sometimes, and and often it doesn't seem to be getting better. In fact, it seems to be getting progressively worse, And, and that shouldn't surprise us when we look at the record in the book of Genesis. When you look in the the book of Genesis, what you discover is that with the exception of the first two chapters, Genesis is a record of one failure after another failure. I mean, just to kind of do a flyover of the the first few chapters, in chapter 3, we see the first man and woman disobeyed God, and they were cast out of the garden. That was Adam and Eve. In chapter 4, their son, Cain, murders his brother, Abel, and then he lies about it. And then in chapter 6 through 8, humanity has become so corrupt that God chooses to cleanse the earth with a flood and start again. Thank God for Noah. But then in chapter 9, Noah gets drunk and indecently exposes himself to his son. Chapter 10, the defiance of the world has grown so strong again that men begin to build a city and a tower toward heaven. And so God sends confusion to end their rebellion. So if you're keeping track, here's what we've got in the first 10 chapters so far. Disobedience, murder, deception, drunkenness, nudity, and rebellion. Sounds like the headlines today, doesn't it? That's the world that we are looking at in the beginning of God's word. And if God were gonna do what often we would think to do, he would have just wiped them out again and said, forget it, strike two. But God doesn't do that. Instead, God chooses a path of mercy. And the first 11 chapters talk about the people uh, of the earth. And then in chapter 12, he shifts to a focus of the people of God. He raises up a man named Abram, who we later know as Abraham, and his wife, Sarah. And and he called them to follow him. And we know that that Abraham became the, the father of the nation Israel, and and Israel, of course, was God's chosen people, and and from that lineage came Jesus, the Savior of the world. And so in chapter 12, we begin to see the grace of God unfolding as God does what we talked about in the Titus series. God begins to form his own people for himself. We have the opportunity to be that people today if we so choose to build our lives 
correctly. Where I want to go today is right in the middle of the tension. I want to go to Genesis chapter 11. And we're going to focus just on the first nine verses of this chapter. If you have your Bible open there or you can look on the screen if you don't have one, I want to read these words. It says, now the whole world had one language and a common speech. As people moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar, and they settled there. They said to each other, come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we'll be scattered over the face of the whole earth. Verse 5, but the Lord came down to see the city and the tower the people were building. The Lord said, if as one people speaking the same language, they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. So, verse 8 says, the Lord scattered them from there over all the earth, and they stopped building the city. That is why it was called Babel. That word Babel, by the way, means confusion. Because there, the Lord confused the language of the whole world. From there, the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. What an interesting story. Father, today, I pray that you would take these nine verses and you would make application to our lives in such a unique, in such a specific, in such a clear way that it would be undeniable to the listener that God is speaking, that this is more than sermonizing or storytelling. But this is the living, breathing Word of God, and it speaks to our lives today. God, give us ears to hear what your Spirit is saying. In Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Amen. Now, if you read through your Bible chronologically, and most all of us have at least tried that once up this far, you might not have got through Leviticus, but you at least got to Genesis 11 before you quit. And if you read it, it can be a little bit confusing because when you read Genesis chapter 10, and we won't take the time to go there, but you can just glance at that page and what you see is a long list of names. This is one of those moments where we see all the tribes of the different nations. And so in chapter 10, we see all the people scattered all over the earth and they're all speaking different languages. And that can be confusing when you get to chapter 11 and the first verse says, now the whole world had one language and one common speech. So what's happening here? Well, what's happening is Moses has flip-flopped the events to emphasize something. In other words, his intention is that you would read chapter 10 and you would hear about all the language divisions and all the people spread out everywhere and you would get to the end of chapter 10 and you would say, what happened? How did it get this way? And so Moses writes it in a way that he brings us to that tension of going, what went wrong with the world? And then in chapter 11, he begins to give us the answer. He begins to explain what happened that the world would be hopelessly divided, even to this day. Chapter 11 answers the question, 
So there's four things that I hope to get through in the next few moments with you that that I see in this story. And if you're a note taker, I'll tell you what they are right up front. Four things, they all begin with R. Rebellion, reality, restraint, and rescue. Let me begin with just talking about rebellion. What's so wrong with wanting to build a tower? Nothing. Nothing's wrong with wanting to build a tower. In in fact, it probably seemed like a good idea. I mean, you know, people have a, a unified task. They have a mission. Everybody's on the same page. I mean, the Tower of Babel must have been an architectural feat of beauty and majesty for all these people to come together and to want to build this thing. So, so why would God get so upset? What was so wrong with them wanting to build a tower that God would come down and confuse their languages and scatter them over the face of the earth? Well, to understand what was wrong with it, you got to go back a little bit in the story. You got to go back to Genesis chapter 9, where God has just rescued Noah and his family from the flood, and he gives Noah a command. In Genesis 9 1, this is what the Lord said Then God blessed Noah and his sons, saying to them, Be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth. That was God's plan. I rescued you. You're coming out of the ark. Be fruitful in number and go out and fill the earth. And then in Genesis 9, verse 7, he says it again. He says, as for you, be fruitful and increase in number. Multiply on the earth and increase upon it. So so God's instructions were very clear. They were never supposed to all huddle together in one place. They were never supposed to all just move into the the Shinar Valley and build a metropolis for themselves. God's plan was that they would spread out, that they would disperse. But but look at verse 2 again there in Genesis 11. It says, as the people moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and they settled there. So what was wrong with building the Tower of Babel? Well, first of all, there shouldn't have been a Babel. They shouldn't have been in that place. They should have obeyed the heart of God, but instead of doing that, the people did what seemed convenient instead of what was commanded. Now, I know this will probably shock some of you, but there are still people today that choose to do what is convenient instead of what is commanded. Don't look around. None of them are in the 9 a.m. service, ever. But there are people that still choose what is convenient over what is commanded. And all all of their actions and the motives for those actions are outlined in verse four. Look at verse four with me again. It says, then they said, come and let us build ourselves a city. Let us build a tower that reaches up to heaven. So we get their actions, but then we also get their motives. He says, so that we may two things. We may make a name for ourselves And secondly, otherwise we may be scattered over the face of the whole earth. So building a city and building a tower were were the outward actions that revealed the sin of their heart. They wanted to build a tower for one reason. They wanted to make a name for themselves. I mean, wouldn't it be awesome if we had this huge structure that everybody could see for for miles away? Wouldn't it be awesome if we we could go up to the heavens on our own strength, on our own power. Wow, wouldn't we be something? 
talking about how we choose to build our lives today. There's a lot of people that have made that same mistake. They live their life with the ambition of, boy, if I could just be somebody, if I could make a name for myself, that was the heart of the people in Shinar. But secondly, they built a city. And I'm sure it made sense. I mean, let's, let's build a strong city. Let's, let's put fortified walls around it. Let's protect ourselves. Let's have security. We don't know what might be out there in this wild world that God is sending us into. We don't know what beast or what animals might attack us. We'd be better off if instead of listening to these instructions of the Lord, if we just came up with our own plan and we devised our own strategy to guarantee our own safety. And they made this critical mistake, and too many times we make it too. They chose rather to live in safety than to live in significance. And we have that choice before us today. You can choose a life of significance, or you can choose a life of safety. And so they built this city and they built this tower. And they ignored God's clear instructions in favor of their own wisdom. See, every one of us, we have to, we have to make decisions between what is good and what is God. See, see God is good all the time. But understand that good is not always God. And so sometimes we have to make a decision between what looks like a good idea, what seems like the rational thing, and between what seems like the thing that God has spoken to us clearly to do. I think about Eve just a few chapters earlier. The Bible says in Genesis chapter 1, or Genesis chapter 2, verse 16, listen to these words. It says, the Lord commanded the man, you are to You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. That was God's instruction in the garden. But then when you look at chapter 3, verse 6, look at what it says. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. And she also gave it to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Can I just say to you today that, that Eve's heart was not bent on evil? You know, sometimes we read it that way. We think, well, the devil tempted her to do a bad thing. No, it was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And you know what Eve was attracted to? The good side of the tree. She saw that the fruit was good, that it would give knowledge that it was desirable, that it was pleasant to the eye. God said, this is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And there was something in her that said, I want that knowledge. And I want what's good. And we have the same challenge in our own lives. You've got to choose between what is good and between what is God. Can I tell you what the sin of Babel is? The sin of Babel is just thinking that you're wiser than God. And it's not something that we would verbalize, but it's a choice that we make when we know what God has said, and yet we, we, we come up with our own alternative. We come up with our own plan. We devise a way that just seems good enough, but good is not always God. And so there's rebellion. There was rebellion among the people in Genesis 11, and, and there's rebellion in our hearts when we have to make that decision. Am, am I going to choose security? Or am I going to choose significance? Am I going to desire the praises of man by making a name for myself? 
Or am I going to live for the pleasure of God and obey his commands? Rebellion. The second word is reality. Look at verse 5. This is the reality. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower the people were building. Now, this translation says the tower that the people were building. I actually like the way some of the other translations have this word because it actually says the tower that the sons of Adam were building or the tower that the children of man were building. In other words, God's stepping down not to just see what this group of people are doing, but this is an indictment on all of humankind. This is what humanity is doing. This is our story. This is not just an Old Testament story. So God says, I'm going to step down, and I want to see what humankind is doing. The Bible says in Romans 3, verse 10, it says, as it is written, there is no one who is righteous, not even one. There's no one who understands. There's no one who seeks the face of God. And so God is looking at all of us this morning. And all of us are in this category. And he says, I'm going to step down and I'm going to see what the children of man are building. Now look at verse 5 again. I want you to notice something. I, I had to laugh when I saw this in the text. It says, but the Lord came down to see the city. He, he, he came down. Now, remember what this is supposed to be. This is supposed to be a tower that reaches up to heaven. And this is supposed to be man's best effort. This is supposed to be so grand and so glorious that they're going to get all the way up to heaven on this idea. It's going to make a name for themselves. And this is the God who knows all. This is the God who sees all. This is a God who can number the hairs of your head. And yet, do you hear the irony? He says, oh, wow, you're building a tower up to heaven? Where is it? Where is it? Oh, oh, I'm going to have to come down. Oh, oh, that. Oh, that's what you can do. Oh, that's neat. Wow. I'm going to have to come down to see what you can do. And can I just say, that's the way that God sees when we try in our own ingenuity, in our own wisdom to make ourselves something to build our own lives, he says, I'm, let me come all the way down and let me take a look at, at what you're building down here so that I can see. And can I just challenge us today that when you try to build your life on your own human efforts, you're building Babel. And God is not impressed. Reality is you can't build a stairway to heaven. And even if, even if there was one, you couldn't climb high enough to get to it. The good news for us today, the good news is the salvation is available on your level, that you don't have to climb a stairway to get to heaven. Salvation comes to where we are. That's why Jesus didn't say, behold, I am the stairway to heaven. Jesus said, behold, I'm the door. And anyone who comes in through the door has access. You don't have to climb a stairway. See, the attitude of the people in Genesis 11 was that they would spend their lives saying, we want to make a name for ourselves. And that attitude is prevalent in our culture today as much as it was then. Some people, they, they build their tower of, of pleasure. It's, it's their hobbies. It's their toys. It's all the stuff that they can, it, it's, it's the, the, the life moments that they can pack in, the joys that they can bring to themselves. For other people, it's, it, it's work. 
It's building a portfolio. It, it, it's just building a nest egg, a 401k. And, and, it, and it's all about the name I can make for myself. It's, it's climbing that ladder feverishly to just try to get to the top. For other people, that, that tower that we're building is, is, is a social media platform. That If I can just make a name for myself, if I can get more likes, if I can get more follows, if I can get some more hearts and retweets and shares, and, then I'll be somebody and everybody will know my name. And we're building Babel. What do you think God sees when he looks down at all those efforts? Your, your big nest egg. Oh, wow. The God who owns the cattle of a thousand hills. Wow, look, look what you've done. What a, what a name you've made for yourself. The God who, who looks down at, at all of our ambition to, to just bring pleasure and joy to our lives, the hobbies and the adventures and, and the trips and the excursions. And wow, look at all that. I mean, this is the God who the Bible says in Psalm 104, he created the whales to frolic in the sea. You think God's impressed by your hobbies, by our boats, by our, our golf score, by our, our, I mean, come on. I read it this morning with my kids. We were looking this up online while we were eating breakfast. A blue whale has a tongue that outweighs an elephant. That's a big animal. And Psalm 104 says, God made the whales to frolic in the sea. Like, wow, your stuff is so impressive. That sports car, so nice. Wow, you've, you've really made a name for yourself. I got to come down and way down to see the things that you do for pleasure. Look what I do for pleasure. And yet God looks down and he sees a people who are striving and straining to build a tower of Babel. We need to get the mind of the Lord on these things. Because look, having those things is not wrong. Enjoying those things is, is not wrong. It's certainly not a sin. Having them is fine. I'm talking about building your life on them. I'm talking about saying this is what's going to make me somebody. This is what's going to give me security. These are the things that I'm going to be known for. The reality is quite different. The reality is you were made for more. Jesus said this, Jesus speaking, Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 and 20. He said, do not store up for yourselves treasures on the earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. See, while the people were at Shinar building their city for themselves, God was looking for someone that he could make his own people with. And that's why the very next chapter begins to tell us about a man named Abraham. Hebrews 11 puts Abraham in the faith hall of fame. He's the father of our faith. And, and in looking back on this story, in Hebrews 11, it says this, verse 9, by faith, Abraham made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob. In other words, he was not going to settle for a magnificent city. 
He was not going to live out his years in the metropolis in the plains of Shinar. He was committed to follow God. Genesis says he went not even knowing where he was going. He just went because God said go. And he chose to walk by faith. He and his son, Isaac, and his grandson, Jacob, they were the heirs with that same promise. The next verse says this. Verse 10 says, for he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. Abraham had the perception that my best city, my best tower is not enough to satisfy me. My 401k, my retirement plan, my hobbies, my interests, my social media platform, none of these things are going to drive me. I'm going to build my life for a city whose builder and maker is God. That's the heart of God. It captured the attention of the father, and Abraham became the father of our faith. Now, let me talk thirdly about the restraint. Restraint. Look at verse 6 in Genesis 11. In verse 6, God responds to this building project. He says, the Lord said, if as one people speaking the same language, they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Now, I got to be honest, on a first reading, that verse can be confusing because it almost looks like God is saying, wow, if I don't do something, they might actually get here. I mean, nothing's impossible for them. If all of the people of the earth rally in one place and they put all the collective brain power together, this might actually work. They might actually build an impenetrable city. They might actually build a tower that reaches up to heaven. I got to do something to mess them up. I got to confuse their language and mess up their plan. Let me tell you, that is not what God is saying. God is not saying that if I don't intervene, then nothing is impossible, and they can reach the highest heavens, and they can go to the highest heights. What God is actually saying in this moment is not about the height of their accomplishments that man can achieve. Instead, he's referring to the depths of sin that mankind is capable of. He's saying if they all stay as one people together in the the plains, there is no limit to their depravity. There is no limit to their rebellion. There is no distance that they could not go to to rebel against my heart and my plan and my purpose for the world. In other words, if if they go unchecked, there's no telling how much worse it could get. History has shown that that's true. That God's warning in this passage was accurate. That the only thing that restrains the evil heart of humanity is accountability. Accountability. When when there's a group of people that come together outside of God and they unify around a common cause and a common purpose, the result is always tragic. Now, thankfully, there's never been a time in human history where everyone was united with one mindset. God, God didn't let that happen, but we have seen glimpses in human history of people that unified and rallied in a godless unity. Hitler comes to mind. He was able to almost rally an entire nation. The result was the extermination of over 17 million people. I think about Stalin, who was able to unify the political and military forces of Eastern Europe, and the result was 50 years of tyranny 
and the murder of over 27 million people. These are examples of of when people, in a godless sense, rally and unify around their own purposes. The strong always oppress the weak. And if the world could unite apart from God, it truly would fulfill the warning in Genesis 11.6. Nothing could restrain them. Nothing would be impossible. And so God responds, verse 7 and 8, Come, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from there over all the earth, and they stopped building the city. If you've ever wondered, why do we have so many languages and people groups in the world? Interesting question. The answer is right here in verse 7 and 8. That's the the key text. The confusion of the languages of the earth was actually an act of the mercy of God. He, he, he knows what we would do if we were all still, I mean, somebody could, could rise up with, with one power and with one voice, and in a moment, they could exterminate Christianity. They could eliminate the opportunity for people to seek God, to worship God. And so God, in his mercy, had to disperse and scatter the people and confuse their languages. Because when God allows man to have his godless desires, It never ends up as the utopia that Satan told Eve it was going to be. It never ends up that way. It always ends in chaos and in tragedy. The reality is we know this is true because one day God will remove his hand of restraint. What almost happened in Babel will happen in the end times. The Bible says that God has reserved a time when there will be a united society. It'll be a one-world order. It'll be one-world government. Everyone will be unified in a godless society. And the word that is uh, translated as Babel here in Genesis 11, in most places in the Old Testament, is the same word is translated Babylon. And you can read in Revelation about the end result of Babylon and the judgment of God. Let me just show you a couple verses in 2 Thessalonians. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 tells us about what it's going to be like when this one world order comes into being, when the fulfillment of God's prophetic utterance in Genesis 11 happens. It says in verse 7 of 2 Thessalonians 2, for the secret power of lawlessness is already at work. We experience that. There is a a lawlessness that is at work in our world. But, it says, the one who now holds it back will continue to do so till he is taken out of the way. That's the restraint of God. That's, the, the reality is the Holy Spirit is at work in the church today as a restraining measure to the man of lawlessness. But one day, the church isn't going to be here anymore, amen? One day, Christ is coming back for his bride. One day, the the Spirit of God who lives in the hearts of the people of God is going to leave this earth, and all of a sudden, the restraints are going to be lifted. The restraints that God imposed in Genesis 11 and have maintained their place are going to be lifted off. And the next verse says, and then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will overthrow 
with the breath of his mouth, and he'll destroy him by the splendor of his coming. What's he talking about? He's talking about in that day when the Holy Spirit lifts off his restraining grace, and when the church is taken out of this world, there's going to rise a one world order. There's going to rise an antichrist who here is called the man of lawlessness. He's going to rise to power, and there's going to be a godless unifying of the nations. And that will be the end of the beginning. Just think about this for a second. Because this is, this is telling of, of us in our sinful nature. The only thing that God has to do to bring judgment on the earth is give us the desires of our own hearts. All he has to do is just remove his restraining Grace, just remove his presence, just remove his hand. And we, we know from Genesis 11 where we're headed. We know where the world will go right back to. We'll come up with our own ideas, our own wisdom, our own ingenuity, and, and we'll think we're going to build this world power. The problem is every religion of the world, including atheism, has this conviction that, that in our hearts we're good. The Bible tells a different story. And so when we build our best plans, our best government, our best structure on this premise of the goodness of man, it always turns wrong. It always turns to evil. And one day, God's going to remove his hand of restraint. Verse 4 again, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. That's what's going to happen across the whole earth when the restraint is lifted. The reason that you and I haven't gone off the deep end and become murderers or thieves or prostitutes or terrorists or whatever you and I would look at and go, oh, I I could never. The reason that, that we're not that way is because of the restraint of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And we ought to we ought to remember that. We ought to remember that that there is a grace at work in our lives, not just a grace that opens doors and gives us opportunities, a grace that restrains us. That's why I love the old phrase that's often been quoted. Maybe we should all remember it. There but for the grace of God go I. When you see somebody who's strung out on drugs, there but for the grace of God go I. When you see somebody who's, who's been caught in the act of adultery and destroyed their marriage and 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 wreaked havoc on future generations and their family. There, but for the grace of God, go I. When you see a person who's 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 caught embezzling funds and and you see somebody's life falling apart because of selfish motives, there, but for the grace of God, go every one of us. We should remember Babel and remind ourselves that if, if the grace of God doesn't restrain us. Nothing would be impossible for me either. There's, there's no sin that, that I'm not capable of. But aren't you glad today that, that that's not our reality? Aren't you glad today that we're not building our lives with the bricks of Shinar any longer? No, we, we choose to build our lives differently. I love this verse in Romans chapter 8, verse 12. It says this, therefore... In other words, because of what Christ has done for us, because we're saved, therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it is not to live according to the flesh. 
We don't have an obligation to the sinful nature. In other words, we all understand we have that same sinful nature in us. We all understand that if not for grace, I could be just as bad, just as ruthless, just as sinful as anyone else. But because Jesus has saved me, because he's put his spirit on the inside of me, I do not have an obligation to live according to the sinful nature. Look at the next verse. It says, for if you live according to the sinful nature, according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. That's the promise that we have today as the church. We have the opportunity because the Spirit of God comes and lives on the inside of you at the point of salvation. You have the opportunity to build your life on the firm foundation of Christ Jesus. I want to ask the worship team if you guys would come back. And in just a moment, we're going to stand and we're going to sing that song that we sang earlier, that I will build my life. But as they're coming, I want to tell you about that fourth word quickly. The word is rescue. Rescue. When when you look in Genesis chapter 11, you come to the conclusion of of the chapter. and, And after we get through the part we read, it begins to go back into genealogy. So we have all this genealogy and then... And then we get the explanation for why God confused the languages and why the people were scattered. And then after we get the understanding, it goes right back into genealogy. And if you don't understand it, it can just kind of be boring. And you go, well, it kind of got good for a second. Now I'm back to the name. So-and-so begat so-and-so who begat so-and-so. But what we learn when we look at the rest of chapter 11 is that this genealogy zeroes in on one of the sons of Noah. It focuses in on the genealogy of Shem. And it was through the line of Shem that Abraham was born. Abraham was the father of the Jewish race. And so, all the way back in the beginning, while the world was trying to build a name for themselves, and rebel against the command of God. God already had rescue in his heart. And what's amazing is if you go over to Luke chapter 3 in the New Testament, and you read the genealogy of Jesus Christ in Luke chapter 3, you see all the same names that are right here in Genesis 11. And so all the way back in Genesis 11, while man was rebelling against the heart of God, Jesus was already in the works. God was already working out a plan of salvation. He was already working out a plan of rescue. And the good news is for every one of us, we get to be a part of that plan. We get to be a part of that rescue through the genealogy of Jesus. Can I just remind you today that that Babel is an unfinished tower. It meant confusion. And it was incomplete. And they were scattered. I think a lot of people feel that way. They feel incomplete. They feel confused. And they feel scattered. The worst thing you could do in light of this message would be to leave this place and to think, I'm just, I'm going to, I'm going to work harder. I'm going to build stronger. I'm going to build higher. I'm going to build taller. I'm going to double down on my best efforts. Because you'll continue to be scattered and incomplete and confused.
Bible says in Proverbs, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to it and they're saved. The message of works, the message of the Shinar Valley is let's come and build. Do you know what the message of Jesus is? The message is all who are weary and under a heavy burden, come and find rest. Take my yoke upon you. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So can, can I just speak this word? If there's any frustrated builders in the room, if there's anybody that's weary of building your best tower and your best effort, just come to Jesus. Just give it to Jesus and say, God, I'm not going to come and build. I'm going to come and surrender. I'm going to come and obey. I'm going to give you my life. I'm going to ask you if you'd bow your head with me. We're about to sing this song together in a response. But before we sing, I just want to give you an opportunity. Right there where you are with your head bowed, your eyes closed. I want to give you an opportunity to be honest with God today. If you're in this place and you would say, I've been building on my own strength been trying to to measure up and to make a name for myself and and maybe it's not a a, maybe it's not a terrible path maybe you would even say it's a good path but it hasn't been God's path and today the spirit of God is challenging you to choose God even over what is good to choose significance over safety to choose the applause of heaven over the praise of man. If God is speaking to your heart today to surrender your life to him, right now, if that's you, I want to ask you to just raise your hand and say, that's me, Pastor. God is speaking to me right now. Thank you. Anyone else, just raise your hand and say, that is me. The Holy Spirit is dealing with me today. Amen. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Thank you, ma'am. You can put your hand back down. Listen, right now, eyes are closed, heads are bowed. This is your altar right now. Come on, let's go before the Lord in prayer. Can we all just pray this together? Just say this out loud with me. Say, dear God, I'm not going to spend another day building Babel. My life is not my own. I was bought with a price. So I'm going to honor God with my life. Lord, today, I receive your grace. I receive your forgiveness. Jesus, you are Lord. I give you my life. Today, I make a decision. I will build my life on your love. In Jesus' name, amen. Now I want to ask if you'd stand with me.